You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara in St. Catharines, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestniagara.ca. Amen. What amazing truths we sing about today. Amen. Amen. I want you to know we're not looking for emotionalism here, but we just want to sing of the true realities of what Jesus Christ has truly accomplished for us. And so as I open up the word of God today, I am going to pray that we wouldn't just get all excited about singing these things, but we'd know the reality of these things in the depths of our hearts. And only God can make this happen. I can't make this happen. I can preach as well as I can. I can help you understand the scriptures as best I can. But only God can truly open up a heart to know the full reality of what he has done for us on the cross and then through the resurrection. So pray with me, please, as I pray. Pray with me that God would help us now not just sing about the reality of the resurrection, but know the fullness of the resurrection in our hearts. Will you pray with me? Let's come before the Lord. Father, we get down on our knees today and say how awesome you really are. We can't even comprehend the vastness of the love of a holy God who would allow his son to come to earth to suffer the excruciating pain of death on the cross on our behalf. We can't even begin to fathom the power of God to raise that very son from the dead that we might have life and have life abundantly, not just for the day that we die, but for right now here on on earth. We now, because of Jesus being alive, have the life of Christ in us as followers of Jesus. Father, these truths are too magnificent for our little brains to understand. And yet, God, we know we don't have to fully understand because there's a supernatural element to this faith, and it is God drawing his children to himself and opening our spiritual eyes and hearts to see and to believe and to understand. So, Father, now as we open up the scriptures, we pray, oh God, that the living God would fall upon every single soul in this place, that the things that I say, God, wouldn't just be words out of a mouth, but these would be the words of truth from a living God to every soul. And God, I pray today simply you'd help us know the power of the resurrection. You'd help us know the fullness of Jesus alive and Jesus alive in me. Please, Lord, do this for the glory of your Son, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to take a seat this morning and turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you're visiting with us, we're glad you've come to celebrate uh, Jesus' resurrection. This is an ordinary Sunday in some ways, but no ordinary Sunday for sure as we remember the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. I love as we look at the story of scriptures how the grave could not stop, could not stop him. Death could not put an end to him and Satan could not win. The grave was empty on that first Easter morning. The grave is empty today and always will be. Jesus' tomb is the only one that people around the world visit for what's not there. And at Easter, we celebrate the fact that Jesus died and rose again, that you and I might truly live. I think we focus a lot on the cross. We get the cross. But my question this morning is, do we understand the full reality, the full meaning, and the full power of the empty tomb? My prayer is that we would, by the, by the end of this, this sermon, as we understand what 2 Corinthians 5, 15 means to us. It was Michelangelo, the great artist, who one day turned to his fellow artists in a spirit of indignation. He threw this out at them. 
Why do you keep filling gallery after gallery with endless pictures on the theme of Christ in weakness, Christ on the cross, and most of all, Christ hanging dead? Why do you concentrate on the passing episode as if it was his last work, as if the curtain dropped with disaster and defeat because that dreadful scene only lasted a few hours, but to the ending eternity, Christ is alive. The stone has been rolled away and he rules and he reigns and he triumphs. It's a great question, I think, that Michelangelo poses. Now, we get the power of the cross. I'm not minimizing the power of the cross today. You understand that, right? We understand that the cross is a monumental reminder that there is a God who loves me so much that he would commission his son to pay the penalty that my sin deserves and hang where I belong. And the cross, you have to understand, is not a, a symbol of weakness. It's actually a symbol of power. God's power and his humility to die in my place is a perfect picture of God's love and God's wrath. At the same time, at the same time as we grasp the cross and love the cross, I think the point of the, the sermon today and Michelangelo's question is this. At the same time we grasp the cross, do we also grasp and cherish the full significance of the empty tomb and the resurrection? And yes, we view the cross, but we view it like this. Through the empty tomb. Because it changes the full meaning and the full power of the cross. And if it wasn't for the empty tomb, there'd be no victory. Without the empty tomb, we would have a dead God and no hope of a living in a life with God now and forevermore. The tomb, of empty tomb makes all the difference in the world and it changes even the full picture of the gospel. Easter, yes, Jesus really died. He took his last breath on Good Friday, but Sunday represents the fact that Jesus truly did rise from the grave. We have to get this if we're gonna get the full reality of what Jesus has for us. And it's like, we have to get this. Recent poll told, tells us that 50% of Americans and Canadians, probably even more, have no idea the connection between the empty tomb and Easter. And I ask myself how many Christians even walk through life and haven't been taught fully the significance of the empty tomb to know the full power of God that we have through Jesus Christ to live this life for his glory. Let me continue where Brett finished off from Good Friday with 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 14 says this, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. A powerful reminder on Friday of all that Christ suffered for us on the cross. But the verse goes on. Jesus didn't stay dead. He went from death to life and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake was dead their sake, died and was raised. Christ died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Here's the simple reality of the resurrection. Jesus lives that I might be alive. First point I want you to write in your notes today comes from right from the text here. It's the last word of this verse, and it says, what's that last word of this verse? He died and was with excitement now. He died and was raised. 
He was raised. Basic truth that probably you all have heard before, but I want to make sure we understand this because if we don't understand this, the rest of the message doesn't make sense. Simply this, Jesus rose again. Jesus rose again. He was raised. That means he didn't just come back to life. He was fully brought back from the dead by the power of God. Sounds a lot to us like a fictitious Hollywood special, the hero, hero dies and comes back to life to save the world, and we like, really? Really? Did it really happen? But this, loved ones, is reality. What you see on Hollywood is all fiction, but this is reality, and all of Hollywood is really, is really longing for this reality as they make all their movies and all their stories. This is what it is based from, I believe. The truth that one person has conquered death, and that's Jesus Christ. This is such a massive deal for us that every one of the Gospels, all four Gospels, capture the story of the resurrection. Matthew chapter 28, Mark chapter 16, Luke chapter 24, John chapter 20, all capture the resurrection for us. That we would not miss the fact that Jesus didn't just die. We get that. He was raised again. I give you those references, you can go back and look at them this weekend as you go home and as you go throughout your week and, and read those. It gives you a full picture of the, the, the resurrection story. I've heard many people say that the resurrection can't be true because each of the four Gospels comes at it from a different angle and says it in a different way. And so it contradicts each other, it can't be true. Actually, if you read each of those accounts of the resurrection of the Gospels, it's not that they contradict each other, it's that they give us a full picture of what happened on that good and that, that first Easter morning. And it's actually credence to the truth that it's true rather than a, a knock against the resurrection story. Just like if you and I were to go to a big sporting event and we were to meet up with five friends at McDonald's after, three other friends at McDonald's after, and all give an account of what we experienced at the sporting event after having sat in different parts of the stadium and saw it from different angles. We'd all have a different experience, and as we shared stories, what we'd have is a more complete picture of actually went down that day. It would actually be a cause for concern for us if every one of those accounts was exactly the same word-for-word -word story of what happened. We sit there scratching our heads going, well, maybe they sat together after the fact and they came up with a little script that they could go by. And yet that's not the case. The, 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 the Gospels are a complete picture of what happened. Turns me to John chapter 20. Let me read it for you. Just one account of what happened on that first Easter morning. John chapter 20. Don't let a familiar story be lost upon the significance today. This familiar story be lost, the significance will be lost on your hearts today. John 20, here's what happened 2,000 years ago on that first Easter. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. While it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. This was a big deal. Can you imagine if you're one of the disciples, and you loved Jesus so much, and, and you believed he was going to be the savior of your, not just your life, but the world, and then one day he's nailed to a cross, and he's done, and it's over, and your, your dreams are dashed, your life is shattered, and only for someone to knock on your door and say, guess what, the tomb is empty. Can you imagine the excitement, the, the pounding of the heart? They're like, man, I want to get there first. got to see what's going on. 
So they're racing. There's a running race going on here. The, both of them are running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. John was faster than Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, and he did not go in. And Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there in the face cloth, in the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, and get this, but folded up in a place by itself. This wasn't just some like, bang. This was a calculated, clear act of God. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw, and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes and the passage goes on to tell us how Jesus appears. Look at the little subtitles to Mary Magdalene. He appears to the disciples and Jesus and doubting Thomas. And then the purpose of this book is written, it says in John chapter 20, the last verse of this chapter, written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? May have life in his name. Jesus really did rise from the dead that we might have life in his name. Ultimately, here's what the gospels do for us. They unpack the account of the resurrection. The gospels do not explain the resurrection. The resurrection explains the gospels. Belief in the resurrection is not an appendage to the Christian faith. It is the Christian faith. This is what John Whale said. This one theme of the resurrection you have to understand is the central message to the early followers of Christ and the main message of the whole Bible. Jesus rose from the dead just like the scriptures said he would. Everything you read about the resurrection of Christ is true. And yet the big thing that I come up against as I tell people Jesus being alive is this. Well, is that really true or is that a fable? Is that fact or is that a fable? I choose to believe it's a fable. Is this a myth? Or did this really all go down? What's a myth? It's a traditional story passed along on, based on false belief. Is this really a myth or is this reality? This undoubtedly is what many of you struggle with as you even walk in here on Easter. You, you, you want to believe it. You know you should believe it, but there's a part of you like, how do you know? Over the last four Easter's, I've given you many reasons why we believe this is true. Many defenses of the resurrection. I just want to give you one more today as we understand just simply this one word here that Jesus, in 2 Corinthians 5.15, the one word is that Jesus was raised. Fact or fable, here's three myth busters. I just want to tell you this as we understand the scriptural account of the resurrection that, Je even, that Jesus' resurrection doesn't fit as a myth according to what a myth really is. Three reasons why Jesus' resurrection doesn't fit as a myth, why it must be not fable but fact. Number one is this, the immediacy of the cultural buy-in of the resurrection. When it comes to myths, here's a reality of a myth as understood by historians, myths take a number of generations to develop. And it's a story that's passed on that gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And yet you look at the count of Christ, and in Christ's case, it was instant fame for him after the resurrection. In all of literature, there are no parallels of myth developing and being believed in the presence of eyewitnesses. It just didn't happen for a myth to be a myth. No one saw it, so people are trying to figure out what happened. In the scriptural account, we have clear evidence that Jesus appeared to many people, eyewitnesses, and it says in, in Corinthians, up to 500 at a time. 
It wasn't no myth. History proves an immediate belief in Jesus' resurrection. When it comes to myths, it's always like a few hundred years later, people start to come around and think maybe this is true. History proves for us that there's an immediate belief in Jesus' resurrection. Even when it comes to the scriptures, scholars agree that the first letter Paul wrote probably appeared within 25 years or less of Jesus' Jesus' ministry. All four gospels that I just referenced for you all came about between 20 and 65 years of Jesus Christ. The preaching of the apostles and the apostles' creed was all based around one truth, the resurrection. In a very short period of time, devout Jews who had been worshiping on the seventh day of each week converted to Christianity and began meeting on the first day in celebration of what? Christ's resurrection. Why do we meet on Sunday and not Saturday? Because of? Because we're not dealing with a myth here. We're dealing with facts. Another reality that that proves that this is not a myth, there's inconsistencies with the biblical account and typical myths. When you look at the Gospels, they don't resemble any Greek myth or Jewish legend. In contrast, the Gospels understate and lack embellishment and even contain details that would be counterproductive to the invention of a myth. Take, for example, John 20 of what I just read for you. Here's five factors in John 20 that are odds with typical mythical heroes. This is all to help you understand. This is, this, is, this is truth we're dealing with today. Why do I do this? Why do I do this first? Because before we get to the implications in our lives, you, you have to have a deep conviction that what we're talking about is true. Here's five things from just the, the account I read for you in John that are, is not typical with mythical heroes first one is this, there is absolutely no attempt made to describe the resurrection itself or blow up magnificent details of how Jesus came back to life. If you look at Miz, they're always filled with these great grandiose, so there's nothing there except that the tomb was empty. Here's another inconsistency with typical myths. Mary neither recognized the risen Jesus, who's the hero. He raised from the dead, he meets Mary, and she's like, had no clue who he was. Or she even didn't even consider anything special about him in John 20, verse 16. That's not typical of a myth. Even the disciples, the secondary heroes, were still in hiding for fear of the Jews at the end of the, end of the day. Generally, the sidekicks of a legend play out in a more positive light. A couple more for you. In the culture of that day, women were not just not inequality with men. They were not even deemed credible. And yet John's account here, the first witnesses to see Jesus were... Women was a woman. If this were a myth passed along, people would dismiss it right away because women didn't count. Their voice didn't matter, so you dismiss this. And yet at the end of this, it was the courage of the women the morning after the resurrection that put the men's cowardice to shame. If there was going to be a believable story written for the day, these things would not have been in there. If there was going to be a box office hit back 2,000 years ago, this wouldn't have been it for sure. This would have been a story that's not worthy to be passed down through the generations. Here's another reason why this is not a myth, just the the improbability within Jewish tradition. You have to understand this about the Jewish culture. The The Jews had such a high view of God that they were the least likely of candidates to invent a mythical Christ. No other culture has been so opposed to mythically confusing deity and humanity as were the Jewish people. They had a clear distinction between God and man. 
all pointing to one reality. This is fact. This is fact. Jesus is fact. He is God's history-altering, life-transforming Savior. He was dead, but now he's alive. This is the message of the whole Bible, 1 Corinthians 15. If this isn't real, we may as well go home. If this isn't real, we have no hope, and our faith is futile. We meet here, we sing some songs, we do our thing, but there is nothing to what we believe. This is truth. And because it's true, you know what this means for us? This means that the rest of this verse comes alive for us. This means that the rest of this verse has life-transforming power for us. Jesus is alive, and we are invited by, we, we meet a God who invites us to walk with him on the path of life. Christianity is the only religion with a living God. Christianity is the only religion with a God who is alive, who invites us to his life both now and forevermore. Jesus doesn't just offer us forgiveness of sins, but you know what else he offers us? He offers us new life in him. Look what it says here in 2 Corinthians. Once I get there. Chapter 5. Verse 15. And he died for all that those who live, get this, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake was died and was raised. Very simply put this morning, here's the truth that we want to hit at for the bulk of this message. Jesus rose again so I may be alive for him. The Easter message changes everything for us. The Easter message is not just about your sin and my sin not being counted against us anymore, but the reality that this, that we might live, that we might live, this is not talking about eternal life, that we might live no longer for ourselves, but for him who was raised for us. The reality of the resurrection is that Jesus invites us not just to a life after this life, but to a life right now for the glory of God. Ephesians 2, 5 and 6 say that God made us alive together with Jesus by grace and raised us up with him. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but, who for their, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The Easter reality that we want to focus on this morning is simply this. Jesus Christ rose again that we might truly live life. And the passage here talks about those who live. It's not just talking about those who are alive and breathing today. It's not just talking about those who have a little bit of brain activity and a little bit of life in their, in their bones. It's talking about those who become alive with the reality of Jesus Christ. Those who live for the pleasures and the plans and purposes of God. Those who become alive in God. This is truth today that until we understand the fullness of the resurrection, we are completely dead in our spirits. 
But when we understand the resurrection and, be, and humble ourselves and become obedient to Christ and, and surrender our lives to Christ, he in turn breathes into us spiritual life. Without Jesus Christ, we're spiritually dead. Yes, the cross covered our sins, but it's the resurrection of Christ that actually breathes new life into our souls. Here's two realities of one who's made alive in Jesus Christ. This is what the resurrection really is. The resurrection really assures me of a new spiritual birth. The full meaning of the resurrection is that we might truly live spiritually. Jesus' resurrection assures me of a new spiritual birth, a whole new life in Jesus Christ. So many people think that when Jesus came back from the dead, he was merely resuscitated. But when Jesus came back from the dead, theologically and scripturally, here's what happened. He didn't just come back from the dead and carry on. He was given, as one commentator says, a resurrection life that was perfectly suited for fellowship and obedience to God forever. He was given a fullness of life. Romans 8.11 tells us that he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells within you. Jesus' resurrection assures us that it is possible to be born again with a new life. That it's not just about Jesus coming and saying, okay, I'm not gonna count your sins against you, I'm not gonna count your sins against you, I'm not gonna count your sins against you, but what in essence, when he came back to life, when he rose again, what he did is, I'm not gonna count your sins against you, and I want you to know the fullness of spiritual life that God intended you to live before you were, that you didn't know when you were dead in your sins. Ezekiel 36, 26 shows us that the reality of the resurrection is that when we turn to Jesus, He takes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. We confess our sins and ask Christ to come into our lives. He actually does a spiritual heart transplant on us. How is that possible? Because he's alive through the resurrection. And he starts making us brand new. He starts renovating our lives for his glory. He assures us of a new spiritual birth. I know, I know. So often in our lives, we get to this place where we know we just feel a little bit dead inside and we need some, something to make us alive and we chase after all these things and really the, the living Christ tells us there's only one person that makes us spiritually alive and that's Jesus Christ. The resurrection assures us that we can have spiritual life now and forevermore in Jesus Christ. What is this spiritual life? What does it mean to be alive now and forevermore? It means this. It means this, that we have a new mind. A life alive in God, that I might be alive for him. A life alive in God is this. It has a new mind. When we we come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, we actually can see God clearly for the first time and see his love for us. And Jesus, in his life, gives us his mind to see the world with new awareness, with a new awareness of God. And to see the world the way Jesus sees things, he gives us new behaviors and motivations to act with a desire to please God and live according to his ways. This is the resurrection power that we have in Jesus Christ. He even gives us new speech. We talk differently, and not that we pick up a new dialect, but, but instead of uttering curses, our mouth now speaks praises to God and things that glorify him. We have new emotions. We just feel differently about things. The things that we 
used to be excited about that didn't honor God now make us sick, and the things that we used to do that, that used to make us smirk now bring us joy, like praying and worship. We have a new will through Jesus Christ. This is the power of a resurrected life in Jesus Christ. We now desire to know and live for the Lord. The Lord gives us a whole new identity. If you look down a few verses here in verse 17, here's what it means to be alive in Jesus. Here's what Jesus' resurrection does for us that, that didn't happen apart from the resurrection. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Jesus Christ reconciled us to himself. In the resurrection, in the resurrection, Jesus offers us new life, real life, full life in him that we could have never had before. Isn't that sweet? Paul Tripp says this, the tomb, normally a place of endings by God's power, became a place of beginnings out of it came the new hope of resurrection life. It's going to be honest with you this morning. Some of you came in here and you need new hope of a resurrected life. You know as you walk throughout life, you can have a big smile on your face and you can have a deadness in your heart. And some of you came here today, I like just think you could come to an Easter service, but you know as you walk in these doors, as you encounter people who are alive in Jesus Christ, that there is something going on in other people that's not happening in you, whether it's a, a struggle that you're facing or just a, an emptiness that you feel, and you know, you know deep down in your heart you need, you need new life, but you can't figure out for the life of you where to get it. I tell you where to get it. You get it from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's the only place you can get it. God didn't just breathe life into his son so his son could have life. He breathed life into his son so that all who trust in his son may also have the life of God in them. And that's what it means to truly be alive today. Jesus rose again, not that you and I would remain dead in our spiritual lives. And just doing the religious thing and just coming to church because it's what we do and trying to be good. Jesus, Jesus rose again that we would not remain dead in any way to the things of God or the things that are good or morally right. Jesus' resurrection assures me that there is such a thing as being born again. There is such a thing as being born again. The scriptures talk about it. What's that mean? It means new life springing up within you, new life that this, that pursues righteousness. What does it mean to be alive in Jesus Christ? What does it mean? What does it mean that we might no longer live for ourselves but live for him? It means this, that we have spiritual life in us. It also means this, that we've been raised to a life of righteousness. This is the full power of the resurrection, not just that Jesus covered over our sins, but he's raised us to a new life that conquers our sins. The cross covers our sins. The resurrection of Jesus, you know what it does? It conquers our sins. That we now no longer have to live within the sin that destroys and kills. 
and hurts so deeply. This is the reality of the gospel. This is the great exchange. Those who put their faith in Jesus Christ are given the life of Jesus Christ to live for Jesus Christ. Here's the great exchange. Jesus takes your life, the life you deserve, to the cross. And when you see a picture of Jesus hanging on the cross, that is what your sin deserved. But in turn, for all those who turn to him by faith, he then gives you his life to live here on earth. And all the power that comes with his life Why do we get so excited about the resurrection? Why do we get so excited about the resurrection? It's not just for the day that we die. It's for here and now that we might live a resurrected life in Jesus Christ. Yes, I'm looking forward with you to the day where our sins are completely severed and there's no more sin and no more pain and no more dying. One of the realities of the resurrection. But in the meantime, I am thrilled to be able to surrender myself to God and know some of that resurrection power here and now as you and I strive to love the Lord and live holy and righteously for him, overcoming our sin. Why do I get so excited about this? Because I believe so many believers know these things, but don't actually truly live as if the resurrection really happened. And yet listen to what Romans chapter six says. Mashing a bunch together here for time, but you can read this this afternoon or tomorrow. Therefore, this is a reality of a resurrection. This is what the resurrection did for us. Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead, from the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in a newness of life. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Do you see that? For we become like him in the likeness of his death, we'll also become like him in the likeness of his resurrection. For if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, because of the resurrection, we can consider ourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. This is life-changing stuff, don't you think? How often do you and I walk around like we are still in bondage to our sin? That we are still enslaved to the things that we know are destroying us and those around us. And yet if we're believers today, the resurrection truth is that Jesus rose that we might live no longer for ourselves and our sin, but for Jesus. Do you realize this is the gospel? The gospel frees you and I to be alive and pursue the things of God. Jesus didn't just forgive us our sins on Easter. In his resurrection, he severed the chains that tied us to it. If you picture the enemy being the jail warden and you being in prison and sin being the big, the big boulder that's been attached to your ankles and you're trying to walk and you can't because the enemy has you in his clutches, Jesus didn't just come to like hide the boulder. He didn't just come to put a robe around your prison suit 
When he rose from the dead, he actually severed the chains that tie you to the boulder and gave you a whole new suit for the glory of God. This is an amazing truth of the resurrection that we often forget. We look so far into eternity that we forget that the resurrection power has effect on our lives today. And the resurrection says that Jesus Christ removed those chains that we might no longer live for ourselves or for our sin, but for him. I get that some people even walking in here today, you know that there's something holding you back. Those chains are heavy. They slow you down. They discourage you. You drag them everywhere you go. You are tied to the enemy, and you have tried your hardest to get out and to do the right thing and be the right thing, but, but you've never truly turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, I need your resurrection power to break these chains because I can't do it by myself. Others in here today know Christ or are living in Christ, but you're walking as if you're still in prison. You're walking as if you're still in prison and you have all these things. You say, well, I, I can't overcome that sin and, and this is just who I am. And yet resurrection power says that we've been freed to no longer live in and of ourselves and our sin, but to live for Jesus. And this is the truth I want you to realize today that you, because of the resurrection, that sin has no more power over you to control you in the same way it used to. And you know where it starts? It starts with, with yourself, your self-centeredness. That those who live might no longer live for themselves. It, start, it starts with changing your self-centeredness to God-centeredness. Your self-centeredness is diabolically opposed to God-centeredness. And the power of the resurrection says you no longer have to live in the prison of self-centeredness any longer. You now can be free from that and live for Jesus Christ completely. It's actually everything opposite of what our culture says is what the resurrection freed us from. The culture says it's about self-promotion and self-fulfillment and self-indulgence and self-assurance and think of all the things that start with self, self-pleasure. But to follow self means we're straying from God and as enticing as self is, it never satisfies. I know some of us read this like, why would I not want to live for myself? I love living for myself, being my own boss, doing my own thing. This is what I, this is what I, I love about it. That's why I don't come to God because I don't want to live for myself. I want to live for myself and not for God. Yet the power of the resurrection frees us from an empty, dead life of living for ourselves. As enticing as self is, it's enticing for me too. Get this, it never satisfies. It's not what God has for you. Think about this. The more you self-promote, there's always someone better that you now have to compete with. The more you seek self-fulfillment and pleasure, the more you find that nothing in this world truly satisfies. And real satisfaction is always just, just out of your reach. And you gotta go for the next high or the next greatest. The more self-assured you are, the less likely you to turn to anyone for help, especially God, and you live in isolation. It's lonely and exhausting. The more self-aware you are, the deeper it brings you face-to-face -face with the parts of yourself that you don't like and that you ultimately have no power to change. Yet the resurrection frees us from all those things. It frees us from ultimately living for ourselves, which means we're not living for God. And living for yourself will always lead down a path of dissatisfaction, sin, and ultimately, you know where living for yourself leads? It leads to hell. 
And yet the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because he was raised, this passage says, we are released from ourselves and we are now free to live the life that God designed us to live. We are free to walk the path that God designed us to walk, the one that's truly satisfying, the one where we know God and worship God and live for him in righteousness and in purpose. power of the resurrection. I don't know about you, but I so long to know the power of the resurrection that I can be done with myself and my sin. And I can truly live for God. I know that's where the joy is. I know that's where the freedom is. I know where that's where the hope is. And the resurrection says it's possible to live that way in Jesus Christ. We as believers don't have to settle for low living any longer because of the resurrection, amen? All that we read in the scripture that God says we are and we should be and do, we can because of the power of Jesus. The cross covered our sin, the tomb conquered it. Do you realize the implications of this for your life, your everyday life? that you can live for God, that you actually don't have to sit at home and we're like, I wish I could live for God, I just can't do it. I wish I was different, I just can't be different. Do you realize the implications of really believing the full meaning of the empty tomb? It means that bitterness no longer has to dominate your life. It means that the anger no longer has to rule your heart and your home. It means that lying lips can be controlled. It means that lustful tendencies can be broken and insecurity doesn't have to hang over you everywhere you go. It means that negative attitudes don't have to cloud your view of God or others any longer. It means that fear doesn't have to be the dominant emotion in your life. It means that sin does not have to be the default setting of your life any longer. That's the power of the resurrection. And instead, you can be filled with, as you turn and submit to Jesus Christ, peace and joy and forgiveness and truth and purity and security and God's perspective to live for him and love him for all of eternity. Yes, we need to focus on the cross, but what about the resurrection? It completes the cross, does it not? If this is true, which it is, this means that you men, you men can be, and stop shrinking back in this, you can be the son and the husband and the father that God meant you to be in the power of Jesus Christ because of the resurrection. You no longer have to sit back and let your wife do it and, and find other things to occupy your time. You can actually be the guy that God called you to be. And, and women, the, the, same, the same goes for you. Be, because Jesus has been raised from the dead, you now have resurrection life within you to be the daughter and the mother and the wife that God has called you to be. We can be the friends that God intended us to be. We can be the positive contributors to church, family, and community that God has made us to be. We can actually spend ourselves in service to the Lord, which is where our ultimate satisfaction comes from, and live for the glorious purposes of God. 
by the power of the resurrection. This has so many implications for our lives. To be honest, I was up half the night trying to figure out how to say all that I wanted to say in 45 minutes. And this is half the sermon you're getting today that I prepared. Because the more I studied the resurrection, the more I realized that I don't think we understand the fullness of the resurrection of Jesus. I know in my heart, I, I don't know if my heart fully understands the resurrection of Jesus. Look at what the scripture says. The same power in Ephesians that is used to raise Christ from the dead is now available to believers to live out the purposes of God. It's Ephesians 1, 19 and 20 if you don't believe me. The cross changed everything. The resurrection just seals the deal. How do we live this out? How do we live this out? I think we daily remind ourselves of the gospel, the full gospel. Not just that Jesus died, but that Jesus was raised that I might live for him. When my heart starts feeling dead again, I can go back to Jesus and say, Jesus, give me life. When I start being overwhelmed by my sin, I can say, Jesus, I don't have to give in to this sin any longer. You've broken the chains. You are alive. I serve a living God, a risen God. As I walk through life, I realize that even though my body might still get old and fall apart and stop working and eventually physically die within me, I can have a spirit that's alive to love and serve and honor God wholeheartedly and pursue his plans and purposes for my life regardless of the circumstances I find myself in. I have the power of the living God in me because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Doesn't it just compel you to love God and live passionately and effectively for Jesus for the rest of your days? This is the power of the resurrection. You don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to muster muster up religiousness. God gives you by his spirit a love for God and others as you abide in him. You don't have to muster up moral rightness. God does that work in you as you keep your eyes on Jesus and know his death, burial, and resurrection. The resurrection frees us to be the people that God intended us to be, that we might thrive in our relationship with him, but also make a deep impact on those around us for the glorious gospel. We no longer, because of the resurrection, brothers and sisters, have to shrink back. We can step up. And just love Jesus and worship him and praise him and live for him with all that we have, knowing ultimately the resurrection means that one day we are going to pass from this life to the next and there is a hope of a life eternal. But it starts here and now. But it starts here and now. This is why we celebrate today. If you're visiting with us, this is why we get so excited because we realize that we are sinful men and women who really have nothing to offer but by Jesus Christ. And because Jesus has died for us and was raised again, that I might know life and truly live now and forevermore. This is the power of the resurrection. And Jesus offers this life to every single person in here who choose to repent of their sin and surrender their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus made life true life, abundant life, spiritual life, life in Christ possible through his resurrection. 
The choice that we have as we encounter this truth is will I accept it? Will I accept it and believe it and live it? I read a story of a Muslim in Africa who came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And as his family and those around him interrogated him and pummeled him with, why did you come to Christ? He said it was super simple. Picture a, picture a, a road and coming to a crossroads where there was two gods standing there. One was dead and one was alive. Which one would you follow? Jesus Christ, the living God, is standing at the crossroads of every heart today. And there's only two roads to follow. It's the road that's dead, whether it's enslaved to yourself or another God, or there's a road that leads to abundant life starting the day you accept Jesus Christ. The power of the cross and resurrection is that you can have that abundant life in Jesus Christ starting now as you repent of your sins and in faith turn to him. Let me pray that we would know the power of this verse in our lives as we move forward. Father, thank you for the amazing grace we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for not just the power of the cross, but also the reality of the resurrection. God, I pray that you'd help us here understand the totality of what you've done for us in the gospel. God, I pray today that you would make us all alive with you, fully, God, and completely. Father, I pray that you'd breathe spiritual life into those that don't have spiritual life today. Father, I pray that you renew the dead areas of hearts that I know uh, are probably sitting in front of me as, as the enemy is always trying to get us back and wrap our legs again with those shackles that, God, you've severed once and for all. God, I pray you'd help us all know not just the hope of the cross, but also the hope of the resurrection that we might live victorious and powerful lives for the glory of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you'd find us all changed not by our own strength, not by our own abilities, but by our faith in Jesus Christ that we might live exactly how you've called us to live, dead to sin and alive to Jesus that we might be effective ambassadors for your son. Thank you, God, for these amazing truths. Do your work in us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. For more information, please visit our website, harvestniagara.ca.